morning, we are continuing our, our sermon series in the book of Ephesians. Uh, we've entitled this in Christ. And again, if you're gonna, if you want to look at the book of Ephesians as a whole, it's helpful to kind of split it in half. You know, chapters one to three and four to six. In chapter one to three, which is what we've covered so far, um, if you need a thesis statement, kind of the, the big idea that Paul's going to kind of pull everything in from is this idea that all we have is in Christ. Right? Everything that we have is in Christ. All the blessings, all, all, all the position that we now hold, or the presence that we now have, all these gifts that God's given us, it's only possible in Christ. So if you kind of navigate through the first three chapters, you'll see Paul giving praise to God and saying, listen, we now get to see God's presence. For people that are obsessed with the spiritual realm and people that are obsessed with the, the world that you can't see and you're controlling all those things, Paul's like, you want to see real power? Look at Jesus. You want to see real power and know that the God of this universe partners with the Holy Spirit and the Son to show you what power looks like. We see God working clearly when we look at Jesus. And as you go through, you'll also see Paul say something, a lot of pretty insightful things. One of the ones I like in the first three chapters is he says that we want to see, or we will see, the power of heaven united with earth. And I think that's beautiful, right? Because it's not just that Jesus left heaven to come to earth, right? But Paul seems to believe that things that happen in earth release things in heaven. Just like things that happen in heaven release things on earth. So you can be saved on earth, but that changes your destiny forever. That makes the angels and even the demons, they see what's going on. So what we're seeing is heaven and earth united together as one. And why we see that is because the power of God through the gospel and through the church Changes our story. Changes our destiny. Right? That's why Paul could say, we were dead. Now we're made alive in Christ. We were lost, but now by Christ's blood we've been drawn near. We were without hope. Now we have been redeemed. We were without peace and without God. Now we have been reconciled to God. And so Paul's going to have this thing. It's like all we have is in Christ, right? And then when we see God's plan and purpose for the world, we know it's not just to save me or to save us, right? It's to save the world. And God's grace is seen not only in our personal salvation, but in this beautiful, new, or renewed, multi-ethnic family of God. So that's kind of the first half, chapters 1 to 3. If we skip to chapter 4 to 6, Paul's going to say that that's your foundation. That's kind of what we'll hold on to. But as he says before the six, Paul's going to say, listen, y'all know the story of Jesus. You know that he left heaven to come to heaven. You know that only Jesus lived in a way to show you how to live and please God. You know that Jesus went to the cross to die for your sins. You know that he descended into hell and was raised on the third day to show that the work has been done. You know that he has sent you out as his witnesses. You know that the Holy Spirit has come down and lived inside of you. You know that he's gone to make heaven perfect for you and that he will come again. You know the story of Jesus. But here's the thing. That story of Jesus should impact all of you. So it's not just about what you know, right? It's not just about what you hold. It's about how you live. So when you get to chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, you'll see Paul saying, y'all know the story of Jesus, but man, how is it impacting all of your life? How has Jesus' story changed you as a person? How has it transformed your, your family? How is it impacting your neighborhood, your community, your school, your, 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 your city, your world, right? Paul has this idea, the ancient idea of Shalom, that when God saves us, 
There's reconciliation available between us and God, us and creation, us and sister, us and brother, us even within ourselves, right? So knowing the story of Jesus, how does that change who you are? How does that impact your family? How does that impact your neighborhood, your workplace? That's kind of what we're going on here. But what's fascinating is that so far we've celebrated heaven and earth coming together. We celebrated what we look like that even the demons can bow down, and we don't have to fear them. But Paul's going to also let us know that the demons just might fight back. That this world isn't going to let you claim that territory, so to speak, without just letting it happen. So what Paul's going to end in chapter 6 is how we put on this armor of God and how we do spiritual warfare. Because if God's going to change things on earth and heaven in the spirit realm, you've got to believe this thing is going to fight back. And so when we're going through all these things, Paul's theory is going to be, yes, all we have is in Christ, but also how is the story of God impacting all of us? And so that's what we begin with here in chapter 4. So we're going to be reading the first 16 verses. And Paul's theory here is in a foundational thing about how this is impact our life. And he's going to say, listen, there's a unity that's available to all of us who believe in Jesus. But there's a grace that's only available to you individually as Jesus has picked you. Right? There's a specific role that God has chosen you to play. And if we take that unity that's for all and that grace that's for each of us individually, we bring it together, that's how we will grow and mature. That's how we will bear fruit. And that's what life in Christ looks like. That's what life together in Christ is. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll have it up front so you can follow there as well. Again, I'll be reading the first 16 verses, starting at verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, and when you were called, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God and Father and all, of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why God said, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to the people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions of death of the earth? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the wind, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in the deceitful kingdom. Tell us how you really feel. Instead, Speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. And each part does it. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much that you are indeed the God of unity, the God of grace, the God of growth. Holy Spirit, we pray now that you who live inside of us can continue to live us together as one. 
And you who called us individually and convicted us individually have welcomed us into this family. Lord, help us to do all we can to endeavor to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Lord Jesus our Christ, we thank you that you are indeed the God of growth. That you're the God who shows us what it is to live and love and to please God. That you're the one we keep our eyes on. That you're the one who's the head of this body that we serve in. Lord Jesus, teach us how to be members of one another. Teach us how to do not only our work individually, but our work as a collective, as a community, as a family, as a church. And Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are indeed the God of grace. And Father, you are the God of grace. And Lord Jesus, that you are the God of grace. May we hold on to your grace this morning. The grace that apportions us our stories. The grace that apportions us our skills, our gifts, our abilities. The gift that apportions us, the grace that apportions us a place to not only belong, but a place to serve. Help us to be committed to not just community, to not just life together, but Christian community that's life together in church. In your holy and precious name, Lord, we pray. Amen. So Paul in chapter 4 is going to set this foundation that listen, all of this story of God needs to impact on us. And, and like I said, Paul likes to pile things on, right? So when you look at how he's building here, he's going to give us a, a formula, if you will. And the formula is simply this, that the unity that's given to all, but the grace that we each are afforded, that's kind of the beginnings of life together in Christ. Why is that significant? It's significant because you can do life together without Christ. Right? This life together that's almost automatic. For example, most of us grew up in families, right? You didn't have a choice. Some of us are like, well, we didn't talk to God about that because I want another choice, right? But that's not between you and your God, maybe your therapist, right? But what we're saying is that for some of us, right, for some of us, life together is automatic, right? You wake up in the house, you live in the house, you don't have a choice but to be in the house. Some of you are like, I can't wait for that time they again. God and therapist, you work on that. But the point is that it can be. A, a neutral thing uh, in the sense of like it's, it's automatic. You live with who you live with. Your commonality is just that you live in this house or that you're a family or you belong to one another. So you can do that and do that well, but it might not be in Christ. Meaning it might not look like Jesus. It might not be for the kingdom. And it might not be uh, uh, God's will on earth as it is in heaven. But you can do that and do life together. That's not what Paul is talking about. For him, life together isn't just like, oh, we have this commonality, so now we have community. Just because we all think the same way or believe the same thing doesn't mean we're Christian community, right? So commonality is not enough. The second one that he talks about, I think, here we understand life together is that sometimes life together is not just in, in the families of women, it's out of convenience. My freshman year at Messiah, I was on the wrestling team. So we were there a couple weeks early before everyone else got there, right? My, my roommate, who's now my best friend uh, for over 20 years, was my roommate. So again, I didn't have much choice but to be community with that guy. Um, but that's another conversation. But there were 40 of us, right? So before everyone else got there, it was pretty easy. Before I started school, I had 39 best friends, right? So it's like, again, that community was born out of convenience, right? Like, I didn't really go in and be like, yes, this is my people, right? I was more like, they got to be my people now. You know, it's just like there's 40 of us and we're already together. So there's community that can build out of maybe just default or out of convenience. And again, for Paul, this is what life together in Christ looks like. It's not simply commonality and it's definitely not convenient because life in Christ requires more. Commonality is not enough. Convenience is certainly not enough. 
So for Paul, what is life together in Christ look like? It's the unity that's afforded to all of us, plus the grace that God gives to each of us that's for the maturity of the body. That's life together in Christ. So he's going to start breaking that down and saying, listen, how this is going to impact our lives, what we know about the story of Jesus, is our willingness to be God's family. And what does God's family look like? Well, Paul begins by beginning with his commonality with them. Right? In the very first verse here in chapter 4, he reminds them yet again, right, that he is a prisoner for the Lord. Reminding me of the old saints I grew up with who would be like, whatever situation they're in, they will flip that. You know, like, I may have lost this job, but you know what? I'm still going to serve God. Right? I may be in prison, Paul says, but you know what? I'm still going to serve God. In fact, I'm not in prison. I'm in prison for you. Right? Paul takes the situation. And, and then doesn't but uh, I think it's funny that the guy in jail and on house arrest is giving us life advice, right? But we're still going to go with that because everyone has a part to play, right? So Paul is in prison, but he wants them to know, don't just see what the world has done to me, right? Know all of my story. And you can't know all of my story without knowing what God has done in me, without knowing what God has done through me, without knowing what God has done for me and you. Remember, this is the same Paul that helped plant these very churches in Ephesus. This is the same Paul who was there when God was moving in powerful ways. This is the same Paul who says, listen, I am a prisoner for you. God has chosen me to be the steward of this message. God has chosen me to remind you that we all belong to each other. That the plan is the multi-ethnic kingdom, the families all coming together. God has chosen me to reveal all this to you. And after he starts with that commonality, he begins with the challenges. And the first challenge here I see is that he says, we ought to live lives that are worthy of our calling. That's a challenge. Because if you know the story of Jesus, are you, are we, am I, living lives that are worthy of our Jesus? And that's the beginning challenge. Don't just know the story. How is the story impacting your life? And when you do an honest assessment of your life, are you living a life that's worthy of your Jesus? And that's where he begins. Are we living lives that are worthy of the calling, worthy of a God who lets heaven come at us? Worthy of a God who taught you how to live and what you ought to be doing? Worthy of a God who is willing to die on the cross in your sins? Are you living a life worthy of your God? And then the challenge is to keep going. So then we move on to listening. If we want to look like our Jesus, if we want to live lives that are worthy of our calling, we'll get it all in four, five, and six. But the first lesson gives us, right, is we ought to be people who are gentle, who are humble, who are patient, who bear one another's burdens in love. And this too is a challenge. Because I don't know about you, but when people think about me, I don't know if the first word that comes to mind is gentle. I don't even wake up gentle. And I wake up and say, what are you doing? Is everyone doing it? Is everyone okay? Okay, good. We'll get it, right? But when people think about us in our homes, in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, right? Do they think of us as gentle? Not so a week, but a safe place they can go to. A place they can belong and feel seen. 
a place where they can know that they're going to be held almost like emotionally like you hold a physical baby. They're going to be held emotionally with tender love and tenderness. Do they see us as gentle? Do they see us as humble? There's so much that's happening in our world that I personally bring my enlightenment. But some of the fruit of that come out to the church in that we think and we operate not just on our social media, but even more dangerously in our own hearts. We operate as if our being right is what brings people to the kingdom. Right? And I will tell you how wrong you are, how terrible you are, and then you will follow Jesus. But I don't know where we get that from, but that's what we do. Does the world, does our family, our community, our city, do they see us as humble? Or do they see us as people who care more about being right? They see us as people who literally meet them where they are, just like our God met us where we are. Are we gentle? Are we humble? Are we patient? Are we willing to bear one another's burdens and love? That's what Paul seems to believe is the beginning of life together, of community in Christ. Looking like Jesus, are you gentle in a safe place? Are you humble who gives glory to God by serving your sister and brother? Are you willing to be patient even when your patience runs you? Are you willing to bear one another's burdens? And again, there's nothing in here that says we need to solve every burden. There's nothing in here that says we need to solve every problem. But there is something in here that says we need to hold each other together. We need to say, I see you. We need to say, I know this is hard, but you're going to make it through. Because God who's in you is looking. Are we willing to not fix every burden, but at least help lower the temperature, at least help take a little bit, you know, a couple pounds off each other's back to make it walk a little bit easier? That's what Paul believes is the beginning of, of life. They were called to be these gentle, humble, patient people who bear one another's burden. And then comes an even more challenging part. You get all your mind around that and say, and I need y'all to make every effort to keep unity in the body. That means that it's not enough for us to see doctors in the world. Are we willing to be the night? It's not enough for us to say, well, the world's full of us, right? Are you willing to be the reconciler? It's not enough for us to say, the world's broken. Are we willing to be the peacemakers? Are we willing to make every effort, right? Some, some, some English translations will use the word indefinite, right? But when you look at everything that's wrong with the world, are you making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit within the body? Is that what characterizes us, right, in our hearts? In our homes, our neighborhoods, our communities, even our social media, which I know that's hard for some of us, especially the younger ones, right? Are we willing to make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit? And what is this unity? And Paul lists seven things that we ought to always be unified in. Now, none of the common critique here is just like, well, listen, Christians have never been unified, right? There's so many different denominations. And every time I get that question, have two answers, right? God seems to be okay with it. God seems to think that if you need to worship me a certain way, then you still worship me, that's okay. If you need to understand me a certain way, and that's the only way that works for you, that's okay too. But right? there's some of us in there who believe that God planned it all out. 
from day one to eternity, right? And God's like, cool, yes, come on in. And some of us who are actually like, actually, no, no, we got a person, I'm sorry. We've got choose it. And God says, what? Also, come on in. Right? It's the same thing we feel like you can use worship as an example, right? But some of us who, when we really feel the spirit of God, we want to do backflips with Jesus. And God says, do more backflips with him, right? And there's some of us who, like, we're worshiping, you can't even tell. And it's just like, they look more scared than whatever. But God says, that's okay too, right? But, like, but God is okay. And I think the reason we separate isn't God, it's really because of us. So we get to a place where we say, oh, you believe just a little bit differently than I do, you go worship over there. Right? Or we say, listen, your skin color is something like something. Your skin color is very different than I do, so you worship in the past. Right? Or, or we say that, like, like listen, uh, we, we believe on 99 for 9 for 10, but this one thing we don't believe on, so, so you, you, you just go over there and start your own thing. Or even ourselves and ourselves are just like, well, no one really understands me but God, so me and God are going to go over here and start our own thing. Right? And it's funny when I see all these young Christians who are divesting from the body of Christ who are just like, I love Jesus and I love God, but they don't love the church. And so the, the, the challenge for us here is, are we making every effort to keep the unity? Because God is going to say, yeah, and however you need to relate to me and to reach me or to connect with me, I will meet you there. Well, we effectively creating the separation of building the unity. Because the things that are non-negotiable are this, right? There is one body, one Holy Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father, right? No matter how far you try to run from God, when you choose to follow Jesus, you enter into the body of Christ. And we'll talk more about the body in a second. But what Jesus and Paul is trying to communicate to us here is that everyone has a part to play. And choosing to follow God isn't just saying, I belong to God. It's saying, I belong to you. And you're as much a part of God as I'm a part of this body So we have one Holy Spirit, right? That same Holy Spirit that lives inside of me, it also lives inside of you. We have one hope. The hope I have of Jesus living inside of me through the Holy Spirit, Jesus transforming my life, Jesus working in it. So that's the same hope you have too. The hope you have of heaven, that's the same hope you have too. We have one hope. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And then he ends up by reminding all of us we have one God and Father. And I love this one, right? We have a God and Father who's over it all. Who's working through it all, and who's all in all. And that gives me hope. Because I don't always do a good job of remembering that God is over it all. Okay? When life gets a little bit too big, when life gets a little bit too hard, right? I stop looking up and I start looking down. When I start looking down, I start looking at myself, and all I want to give up and say, God, where are you? So Paul reminds us that God is over it all. That God is through it all. And I love that because when we are struggling, our sister and brother is struggling, sometimes the most we can do is hold their hand and say, God is with you and I'm going to try to be here too. God is through it all. That's the message that Paul wants us to know. This life, this communion, this thing that we're building, the same God and Father we all have, He's the one who promises to be over everything. The wind and the losses. The dark end of life, the broken up end of human, 
God is over it all, and God is working. And this is the challenge I think for some of us, at least for you, right? It's a challenge that just as God is working in me, God is working in you too. And just as God is working through me, God is working through you too. And Paul bases the unity on this idea that God is on all of our sides, right? And that's the unity he wants to have. We may worship differently. We may believe on some things that aren't these seven things that he listed. But the unity that God wants us to have is that we belong to each other. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. We have the same hope, the same Jesus, the same faith, the same Baptist, the same God, and Father. And once we understand that as unity, Paul says something I think is beautiful. He reminds them that God has conveniently given each of you a grace. God has a portion. I love that language, right? That Jesus was really leading out all the promises, all the promises, all the promises, and took out your share. Your share for you. We have all been gifted a grace by Jesus. Have you thought about that this week? That who you are, that your story, right? That your gifts, your skills, your abilities, God has perfectly designed that for you but also for this time, for this place, for your people. And, and he uses the poetic language going into the book of Psalms because Jesus went down to the depths of hell to win you. And he's before he ascended to the heights of heaven has chosen to give you a grace. And what is this grace for? It's to equip the body of Christ. I love that. Because in our world, our gifts, our skills, our abilities, our stories are usually for us. Right? Like, the more educated I am, the more money I have, the, the more connected I am, it's for me. But in Jesus' kingdom, everything I've given you is only what you steward. Everything I've given you belongs to not just me, but it belongs to your sister and your brother, too. Every gift I've given you, even down to your story, is for the equipping of the saints. It's for building up the body, and that's how we grow to maturity. The unity that holds us together the grace that supports into you to your gifts and your story, that added together is what brings fruit. And what does that fruit look like? And Paul uses strong language here to say that if we're holding on to Jesus and the spirit and the body and, and, and all those things that we're united on, and we're doing our part. Because here's the thing. Without Jesus, there is no body. And without you doing your part, the body can't be done. And if you're not being faithful to what God's gifted you, what God's grace you, what God's called you to, we are actually operating at the deficit. Right? Like, you not only matter because you belong, you matter because you got work to do while you belong. And if you're not, it's almost like I use the, the silly examples. You know, if your knees wake up one morning, some of you are like, don't say it, hey, but it's happening to me right now. But if your knees wake up one morning and tell them, it's not going to work today, you're going to have a hard day. If you're back to five months sitting in that seat, I'm just not going to get up. I'm good. I'm good, good right here. You're going to have a hard day, right? Think of that silly example when you think about, am I using my gift, my story, the gift, the skills, the abilities God's giving me? Am I using it truly for the kingdom? Because if I'm not, I'm actually limiting the body of Christ. I'm limiting the work that God can do. Right? And he says, and I love this, because he says, if we're grounded in the things that unite us, and we're doing our part, we will be grounded against the truth. And I love this because I grew up in a Christian setting where how we fight 
the, the theories of the world and the ways of the world were so that we learn more. Very lightly. It's like the more we learn, then we won't be deceived and fall things that they no, 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 no. Learn. But you just learn as a grow. But how you fight the way the world thinks, what the world values, and what the world says is important, how you fight that is holding on to the unity, the things that hold us together, and doing your part. To me, that's revolutionary, right? Because a lot of us grew up in a, in a church in a setting where it's like, we've got to learn more about God so we can argue better. As if me arguing people in the kingdom ever works. Right? Who's the last person you argued into the kingdom, right? Who's the last person you saw academically defeated and like, yes, now I believe in Jesus. I wasn't sure before, but the way we broke it down in these seven points, I'm ready to follow him, right? Are we willing to just be grounded in the things that hold us together and to do our part with the things that God's given us, right? And I love this because there's an old lady in the church I grew up with who used to always remind me, right? We touch more people with Christ. And it's true. And so Paul says, we ought to be people who are speaking the truth in love. I think we forget that. Right? And we kind of divorce the two, when in actuality it's like peanut butter and jelly, right? You know, it's like chicken and waffle. Kale and my pastor, all these greatest things. Y'all knew that was coming. I set that up perfectly, you know? Like, all these greatest things, right? They just fit together so perfectly, right? If we speak truth without love, we harm the angel. I think most of us know that because some of us have experienced that, right? If we speak truth without love, we harm an angel. I think the harder one for some of us is if we give love without truth, we also harm an angel. And that's why the two ought to be going together. If I know you're struggling with something, and I just sit there as a brother. I'm not willing to say, hey, I see you, I'm with you. But we ought to be working on this. I'm not truly loving you. Just like if you see me struggling with something, and you're only willing to sit with me and not tell me, listen, you got to get to work on this. You're not really helping me either. We ought to be speaking the truth in love. That's the definition of If you just have to speak the truth, a lot of us live in Central Pennsylvania. A lot of us would be good, right? What about men? God just helped me. I got you from passive aggressive to aggressive aggressive. Right? Like, that's what we'll do. If it's just about speaking the truth, we'll be good at that. But I think more of us, if it's just about love, we'll be good at that too. Because we want to love. It's not, I don't think, no one wakes up in the morning like, I want to be David. I don't want my people to like me. I don't want anyone to love me, right? Like, we're good at love. But Paul says the challenge here is speak the truth in love. And that's how we grow together in the body. And the challenge is we know that God is doing God's part, the Spirit is doing Spirit's part, Jesus is doing Jesus' part. Are you doing your part? And what does your part look like? It's staying and fighting for our unity. It's using the grace that God's given you to build each other up. It's speaking the truth in love. It's acknowledging that God is in all of us at the same that none of us are elevated above the other, and that we all need life again. The best way I, I found to understand this is to essentially remind myself that in this passage, Paul is actually inviting us to do life together. He's not just instructing us, he's not just calling us, he's saying it's an invitation. 
And here's the thing about an invitation that some of us are really bad at responding to wedding invitations, I apologize. Um, but with most invitations, you have to actually follow through. You have to accept or deny. So this idea about being the body of Christ or the life together in Christ, it's an invitation that you have to accept. And what does accepting look like? It's knowing the things that unite us and working to hold on to them. It's accepting and gifting the grace that God's given you and actually sharing it with your world. Right? Like, God didn't call you to be you so you can be your best you. That's the army that we're talking about. Right? Like, like, God, God has no desire in you to be your best you for you. Right? Like, if you hear that anywhere, like, that's not what God is. God has made you you. God has gifted and walked with you through your story. God has given you your life experience, your skills, your abilities for the kingdom, for your sisters and brothers to build each other up. And sometimes it looks like, hey, I've been through this too. You will get through it. Right? And sometimes it looks like, I don't know how, but I'm with you. But God's gifted us in grace so that we can share, and that's how we grow together. That's how we make fruit that lasts forever. So what does life together in Christ look like? It's the unity. It's us doing God's grace, and it's us putting it together. Saying all this life together reminded me of a book I read as a teenager. Uh, one of my mentors gave it to me, and, and I looked at it first. I was like, who's going to read this book? Who's going to Who's this guy, right? But in life together, he talks a lot about Christian community. As I thought about invitation, I was reminded about this quote. It's one of my favorite quotes in the book. In life together, Bonhoeffer writes this, right? And speaking of invitation, the joy of this invitation is that God's inviting us not just to do life together with God, not just to do life together with his faith, not just to do life together with the brethren in Christ, not just to do life together with the Christians all over the world, but with all the Christians who've ever been, with all the Christians who will be to join the story and play our part in a song that God's been writing for the ages. Bonhoeffer says that God has prepared for himself one great song of praise throughout eternity. And those who enter the community of God join in this song. It's a song that the morning stars sang together and all the children of God shouted for joy at the creation of the world. It's the victory song of the children of Israel after passing through the Red Sea. It's the magnificent of Mary after the Annunciation. It's the song of Paul and Silas in the night of prison. It's the song of the singers on the sea of glass after their rescue. It's the song of Moses, the servant of God. It's the song of the Lamb. It's the song of the heavenly fellowship. That's what we're invited to do. By holding God into the unity, by doing our part, we join with the saints today, the saints of yesterday, and the saints to come. Amen? And then I'd like to invite us to choir as we end with our last song. Uh, we're going to sing a song that we sang plenty of times around here about withholding nothing, right? And I also want to invite any of the pastors up. We'd love to pray for you for anything you've got going on, a response to a sermon or a ceremony or a ceremony or a service. But, but as we sing this song, though, I want you to ask yourself, maybe to rededicate as we sing this song and say, God, am I truly withholding nothing in front of you? God, am I truly giving my all? For you and for your kingdom, God, these things that you've graced me with, am I fighting to hold on to them, or am I freely giving them for your kingdom? Am I willing to withhold nothing so that all can be given to the kingdom of our God and King? Let's say anything together.
Normally, what we see right? in that community is not, not, it's not the booming. Now, if you think about the, the body of Christ, it's good to remember that we're not choosing to do life together because it's convenient or because it's easy. We're choosing because God is chosen us. In the book of John, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I choose you, and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command love each other. As you think this morning, as you leave this place, holding on to this idea of what does it mean to hold on to the unity of God? It means to love each other. It means to remember that God loves all of us. It means to remember that the things that, that we hold on to, the hope, the, the Lord, the, the Holy Spirit, faith, baptism, all these things belong to all of us. And the way we show it is by doing our part. And the way we do our part is by taking the things God's given us and sharing it for one another. And the way we do our part, if you want to join in, is simply to be committed to loving God and loving each other. Amen? Father God, we thank you so much that you have chosen us to be part of your family, that you have chosen us to intimately be part of your body. Lord, we think that there is no body of Christ without you, Jesus, our Lord, the head of the body. So, Lord Jesus, our Christ, we pray that even right now, if there's anyone in this room who doesn't know you or the, the power of forgiveness of their sins, that even right now, Lord, they can commit their lives to you. 
And for those of us who made that commitment, we pray that this morning is an opportunity to recommit to the body, recommit to doing everything we can to hold on to our unity, recommit to doing our part, Lord. Because if we're not serving how you called us to serve, if we're not gracing with the grace you blessed us with, if we're not blessing one another with the blessings you've given to us, Lord, we are actually offering the body. We're actually handicapping the body. We're actually operating not at 100%. So help us, Lord, to be faithful to you as you are faithful to us. So our God of unity, unite us as one. Our God of growth, grow us together as one. Our God of grace, thank you for gracing us. Now help us as we go to be gracious as you are gracious. To be loving as you are loving. To be merciful as you are merciful. To be kind as you are kind. To be patient as you are patient. To be humble as you are humble. For Jesus our Christ, teach us to live in love as you have lived in love. In your holy and precious name, amen. God bless you all. Have a good week.